Well, that word up there, Maranatha, ever heard it before? Some of you have and some of you haven't. Um, it's a, a word from the New Testament. It's a word that is used to, in, it's Aramaic, it's not Greek or Hebrew. Most of the scriptures are written in Greek or Hebrew, but there's also Aramaic. So Aramaic is one of the languages uh, of the Bible, and it's a word that means, come Lord Jesus, or oh Lord, come. So we're going to talk about that this morning, because I want us to understand how important it is that even though we're looking back 2,000 years to the birth of Christ, we need to also look forward to the return of Christ. That's what Advent is about. There's actually two Advents. There's the first Advent and the second Advent, or the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. And when we get together as Christians around the Christmas season and talk about the first Advent, we should also be talking about the second Advent. So we're going to look at that this morning so that we can understand what it means to think about and pray for the second Advent of Christ. So we usually... Um, look at a definition. So let's look at the definition first here of this word. So as I said, it's, it's pronounced Maranatha. Can you say that? Maranatha. Good job. Um, it's an Aramaic word and it means the Lord is coming or it's a prayer. as a prayer it means come Lord Jesus or come Lord. It also was used, and this is very interesting because we're always looking for hope, right? It's a hope-filled word because the, the early church, when they went through the persecutions that they went through, which came uh, wave after wave uh, through their early church uh, development in the world, they used it as a form of greeting to comfort each other. Because when you're in a tough place, it's good to know that you won't stay in that tough place forever. When you're feeling overwhelmed, it's good to know that there's an end in sight. For instance, if you were like a marathon runner, you want to know how long is this race? Is it a 5K? Is it the Boston Marathon? Is it an ultra marathon? How long is this race? Because somehow you conserve your energy, you, 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 work, you work yourself up to knowing where the end is and knowing how to expend energy all along the way and how to keep going. If you don't know when the race ends, how frustrating would that be? Just keep running. Well, when is the, how long is the race? We're not going to tell you. Just keep running. Just keep running. Just keep running. At some point, you're just like, I can't run anymore. You know? I just can't. My feet won't take me any further. But if you know and you've practiced and you've worked towards working out long enough to be able to do that marathon, you know when you're getting closer. Your body knows when you're getting closer. Your mind, a lot of it is in your mind. They, talk to, they, they interview marathoners. A lot of it is a mental thing. They have to tell themselves. So it's, their body's capable, but, but if mentally they start to give up in their mind, they won't make it to the end. They, they, they'll, they'll turn off and, and say, I, I've had it. I can't make Heartbreak Hill or whatever, right? So, so Maranatha is a hope-filled word because those who are in the midst of suffering, maybe today... But definitely throughout history, the Christian, the Christian church has suffered persecution. They have needed to know that there's a finish line in sight. And scripture gives us the sight to see the finish line. 
which we're going to look at in a minute. See, we usually celebrate the Advent season by looking together at the first Advent or the first coming of Christ with the Christmas story and Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the angels and the wise men and the manger, and we will still do that. I'm not saying we won't. But Advent is not only about looking back at what God has already done for us by sending His Son to this world to die for us and to, to rise again and to give us the forgiveness of sins and eternal life, but Advent is also about looking forward. There's this, there's this statue that I found. I don't even know the name of it. I probably should have done more research. But there's this statue where it's basically looking forward and looking back at the same time. It's a, it's a Greek uh, sculptor of some sort. You can look it up if you really want to know who it is. But I loved it because it's, it's looking in both directions at the same time. Looking back at the first advent... And forward to the second advent. And that's what I would like us to do this Christmas season. I think it's important for us because it gives us hope. If our personal situations or if our, if our family situations are difficult, it gives us hope. Because guess what? It's not always going to be this way. That's what we're going to learn. It's not always going to be this way. If you're suffering right now today, it's not always going to be this way. Because we have hope that Christ is coming again. So that's, that's the good news, right? He's coming again. And this time when he comes, he's not coming as a baby in a manger. He's coming as a reigning and ruling king. The king of heaven. The king of kings is how he returns. So it's very different when the, the, the first advent should help us to believe in the second advent. I don't know about you, but probably most of you believe that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Yes? Yes? Okay. And you believe that he was the son of God. Yes? Yes. And that he lived his life and he taught and then he was crucified on a cross. And that he rose again. So those beliefs are sort of solidly in place inside of you. A lot of them can be proven biblically, of course, but also even historically. can go back and, and, and do some history work and find that this really did happen. There really was a Caesar Augustus. There really was a Pilate. There really was the, these characters that were in place in history as Jesus came and lived his life for us. So our faith in those things is also shored up by historical fact. Things that we can prove by looking back in history. The second advent is a little more challenging because it's what's going to happen. What's going to take place. And it is laid out in scripture through the prophets. If, it, if what happened already in Bethlehem and on the cross and in the resurrection was laid out by the prophets, which it was... And that came true, which it did. Then the things that are also laid out by the prophets and by Christ himself will also come true. So our faith has to be looking back, but also our faith is looking forward. Things we can't quite see, but we know that scripture promises these things. So this morning we're going to be looking together at the second advent or the second coming of Christ. 
And if you're interested in seeing the comparison between the two, a biblical comparison, that's what one of those sheets is at the end of the aisles that you can take with you and, and do a little more study on this. But we'll look at just a few. Let's, let's look at a couple of these things that compare the two Advents. The first Advent, we, we know there was a newborn baby, born in, born in a stable, born, in, born into a manger, right? When Jesus came, he was a baby. In the second coming, when Jesus comes, he comes as victorious king. He comes as already fully grown. He's not coming as a baby again. He's coming fully grown, fully victorious king of kings. In the first advent, during that time, Jesus rode gently and humbly into Jerusalem on a donkey. He was called the suffering servant by the Isaiah the prophet. He came in on a donkey. He came in humbly. Philippians 2 tells us that Christ emptied himself of his godhood. And we talked about that. He set aside the fact that he was God and he came as a man. When he comes again, he rides on a white horse with a sword and with fire in his eyes, it says. He comes in a very different way in the second advent. In the first story, we know that there was the star the star in the sky, the star that helped lead the wise men to the stable, right? We know the story. They were off in another part of the world, and then they began to follow this star, and the star eventually led them to Christ, the child, which they worshipped. Guess what happens to the stars in the second advent? It actually says they all fall out of the sky. It's such a, it's such a catastrophic event that, it, that one of the descriptions in Scripture is that the sky, the sky is ripped open like a curtain, just thrown open, and Christ comes through that opening. Very different experience, right? Not a silent night. It's not that kind of thing. Whole different experience at the second advent. So we can compare the two of them. Last one is, I mean, the last one on this list here is that only a few, the shepherds, the wise men, only a few people recognized him because the angels came in and told the shepherds and the wise men figured it out from the prophets. But when he comes again, Scripture tells us every eye will see him. There'll be no secrecy about it. There'll be nothing that, 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 that keeps the world from knowing that Christ has returned. So these two Advents are very different. Same person, very different experiences. So in your Bible, I want you to open up to the words of Jesus, which are recorded for us in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew records these words for us. <laughs> and they're not, they're not always easy to digest. Matthew chapter 24 Jesus himself teaches us about the second advent or his second coming. A little bit of the context here for you. First, in Matthew chapter 24, the chapter actually begins with Jesus speaking to his disciples and really all believers, because we who believe in him are his disciples, about what we can expect to see and experience before he comes again. Before he comes he even talks about that. So in, in Matthew, Matthew chapter 24, 
Let me just read from the beginning there. Jesus left the temple and was walking away with his disciples. His disciples came up to him and called his attention to its buildings, the temple. Do you see all these things, he says? I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on top of another. Every one of them will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Verse 4, Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. In other words, it's not the end yet. Nations will rise against nations, kingdoms against kingdoms. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of birth pains. The beginning of labor. He's using a woman's uh, contractions as an example. We all see that in movies and on TV or whatever. You've been through it yourself, ladies, where a contraction starts and and you're like, oh, is is that the real thing or is that the Braxton Hicks? You know, is that the real thing? You know, is it going to get worse? You know, they want to know, like, are they, close, are they closer together, closer and closer? Maybe they were, I don't know, 10 minutes apart, then they become 8, then 6, then 2, then 1, and then boom, baby's here, right? So he's using that example that, that these things will be happening. In verse, in verse 9, he, he's talking to the believers, says, Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted, and some of you put to death, and you'll be hated by all the nations because of me. And at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands to the end will be saved. And final verse for this morning in this passage. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. Jesus answers their question very specifically. Very specifically. Now he doesn't tell them the date or the hour or the month or the year but he does give them the signs. So as Jesus tells us that there's going to be war between nations and there's going to be famines and earthquakes you know he tells us this is going to be a difficult time you live in a difficult world he tells us that christians are going to be persecuted put to death hated because of their allegiance to him and as a result jesus says that the false prophets will come preaching a false gospel of salvation other than the gospel of grace through jesus christ to our faith in him alone. So many will be deceived by different teachings. And finally he says that because of the increase of wickedness in our world, the love of many will grow cold towards the Lord and towards each other. Now, I don't know about you, but I hear that and none of that sounds good to me. So when we say, Maranatha, Lord, come. Oh wait a minute all this stuff has to happen before you come Jesus doesn't say hey good news everybody now that I've come everything's gonna be better 
at his first advent. So we're talking about his first coming. He didn't say everything's going to be better. Everything's going to be easier. Everyone's going to like you. Everyone's going to love you. The world is, is just going to be a wonderful place now because I've come the first time. That's not what he said. Jesus says it's going to be difficult. There will be hardships. There'll be suffering. There'll be trials. There'll be deceptions, persecution. And for me, when I think about that, and I think about the past couple years even, going through the challenges, the pandemic, and the hurts, and the divisions in our country and in our world, the losses and the death, I just have this overwhelming sense of sadness that we live in a broken world full of sin and full of sinfulness. I also get a little angry at myself because I I think about the things in my own life that still need to change, that don't belong. They don't honor God as they should. But it does make me long for Jesus to come back. Because after he comes, he sets all things right. After he returns a second time, we can cry out, Maranatha, God come. If you look in Revelation chapter 22, I want you to, to take a moment to, to think about these, this final piece of the, of the scriptures that we have. We have this revelation that was given to the, the disciple, John, before his death. I believe that we all want to experience the completed work of God, his finished product, We truly long to see God come and fulfill these words. These words that he gave, which describe his second coming. Revelation 21, verses 4 and 5 says, He will wipe every tear from our eyes. And death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have all passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Hallelujah. Maranatha to that. Not to the destruction and and the deception and, and the persecution that comes before that, those birth pains, but to the actual birth, the actual birth of this new kingdom. Where Jesus reigns on high and he takes away all the things of this world which are so hard for us to carry. The burdens that we carry. The pain that we carry. Doesn't it sound much better to live in a world where there is no pain, there's no tears, there's no sickness, there's no sadness, there's no death? That scripture goes on to say there's not even any darkness. He is the light. The light is always on, never going off. Isn't that the longing that you have for Jesus? Your desire to be with him in that perfect place? So, Jesus speaks to his disciples back again in Matthew chapter 24, verse 3. When when will this happen, they ask? What will be the sign? So let's go back to Matthew 24. I hope you didn't change your... Your, uh, your Bible page there. Go back to Matthew 24, and we're going to read the end. Matthew 24, verse 29. The end of this, this discussion that he's having. In verse 29, 
He says, immediately after the distress of those days. All right, so there's a lot of a description of what, that, what those days will be like that. But, but immediately after that, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds in the sky. With power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds. From, from one end of the, of the heavens to the others. So what happens here? Jesus comes after those events. After, after all the, the, the persecution and the difficulty. It's like the world just ends. Now I find this really interesting. Because there seems to be an obsession in these last several years about the end of the world. But it's all because of climate change. The icebergs are going to melt. We're all going to be flooded because we live close to the ocean. We're all going to... like. But none of it sounds like this. The sun will be darkened. The moon will, be, will not have any light. You know, like, it, it sounds like another story. It sounds like someone made up a different ending. And they want us all to be freaking out and, and adjusting our lives to that different ending. I want you to freak out and adjust your life to this ending. This is the true ending. The reason we know that is because Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Jesus died on a cross for our sins. Jesus rose again, just as scripture said. Jesus now reigns and is waiting to come back and fulfill his word. Keep his word. Do you think Jesus will keep his word? Uh, that was a little weak. Do you think Jesus will keep his word? Yeah! He will keep his word. He always has kept his word. He cannot lie, Scripture says. So whatever he has said, which we just see, some of what he just said here about his return, is going to happen. And it's going to happen according to his word. Not according to the climate control people. Not according to the green people, or the purple people, or the red people. Right? It's going to happen according to what Jesus said. So we can put our faith in God's word. So let's stop here for a minute because I want us to recognize how different the second advent is when compared to the first. If I were going to sum up Jesus' description of the second advent, I'd use these three words. And they start with C... P and R. Now, when you think about CPR, what do we think about? Our hearts, right? So this is something I want to go into your heart and into the heart of everyone who is under my voice, everyone who can hear me, right? I want your heart to be affected by this. So if we need to do a little mm, 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 this morning, that's what you're here for, right? You want your heart to be pumping for God. You want to be alive for Jesus. You don't want to be dying off, you know, shriveling up somewhere. So the CPR stands for cosmic, public, and redemptive. Can we say that together? Cosmic, public, and redemptive. Those are three things that the second coming are about. So let's look at number one. Christ's return is going to be cosmic. Christ's return is going to be cosmic. Creation itself will declare to us that the second coming has happened. We just hear the words of Jesus there. 
The sun will be darkened. The moon won't have any light. The stars will fall from the sky. That's, that, that's why everyone will see this. Because creation itself is going to change completely when he returns. It's going to be a cosmic event. And so cosmic events are going to serve as a sign that he has returned or he is returning. In verse 29 of Matthew, he specifically points to the great lights in heaven. The lights that everybody sees. Everybody on earth sees the sun. Everybody on earth sees the moon. I guess if it's really polluted somewhere, you don't see the stars. So that's another issue. Oh, for the green people. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's a different issue. But, but God created the world. And he created it in such a way that the sun and the moon and the stars, they serve him. He is the creator. He's the owner of these things. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 14 it says, And let them serve, the sun, the moon, and the stars, as signs to mark the seasons and the days and the years. That's how he describes the planets. These are his to mark the times. So when the time changes and Jesus comes back again, they're going to mark the time. It's going to be different. No wonder then that Jesus' second coming is marked by the darkening of the sun by the absence of the moonlight and the stars falling from the sky because creation itself declares to us that Christ has come. He has returned. And no one will be able to deny it because everything will have changed. Everything that we take for granted, that the sun comes up every morning and that the moon comes out at night if it's not cloudy, right? So that's number one. It will be cosmic. This is biblical truth. You don't need to worry about some new idea, some newfangled thing. This is from God's word. When Jesus comes back, it'll be a cosmic event that the whole world can see. Number two, the second C in CPR, I mean the second letter in CPR, is that it'll be public. Because it's cosmic, it's going to be public. If you look at verse 30, at that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear. Tell, verse 30 and 31 of, of, of this of this section of scripture that, that we have. Christ is saying that the sign of the Son of Man will appear and that all people will respond to his coming. Now, the response that's mentioned here is mourning. Mourning not like when the sun comes about up, but like sadness, sorrow, grief. Well, why would there be mourning? We're happy that he's coming back. But those who don't know him or those who have rejected him is maybe a better way of saying it, will mourn because they have not chosen him to put their faith and their trust into. So that scripture says to us, all the nations of the earth will mourn because in each nation there are people who have rejected Christ. He's been offered as salvation. The grace of God has been laid out for them and they have said, no, thank you. I want to live life my way. I want to be my own God. Or I have another substitute God I love better than you. And so they have rejected him. And because of that, when he comes and proves that he is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, they will mourn. But let's just not focus on that because we have the joy of knowing the Lord as our salvation. This is a whole different advent than the first advent. Jesus comes in obscurity. He comes as a baby in a manger in the middle of nowhere. Only a few people get to see him. But in the second advent, the majesty and the power of God. 
becomes evident. In the second advent, Jesus comes loudly for all to see. No one's going to miss it. No one's going to be like, oh, what was that? Was it a bird? Was it a plane? Was it Superman? Was it Thor? Was it, you know, all these crazy, you know, Aquaman? You know, they keep dreaming up more superheroes because they haven't found Christ yet, I guess. He's the superhero of superheroes, right? So they're going to know that it's him. Jesus is literally going to tear open the sky and our reality and step into this world in the full magnitude of all the glory of God, something we've never seen. Jesus will come and he will be the righteous king of this world. And everyone will see him and all will respond as every heart is laid bare before him. In other words, he sees your heart. He knows it all. So if you have a heart that loves him, you're going to be in love even more. If you have a heart that has rejected him, you're going to be sad that you rejected him. That is the message of the second coming. So the last thing, CPR. It's going to be cosmic, it's going to be public, and it's going to be redemptive. Christ's return will be redemptive. It's important to note here, yes, Jesus will come again and he'll judge the righteous and the unrighteous, which is why Jesus says that there will be mourning for those who rejected his grace and salvation, those who mocked him, those who denied him, who put their hope in something or someone else. But, For those who have received his grace and received salvation through him alone, whose hope and trust are in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, not in their own works. For Christians, the second coming of Christ is part of the process of bringing about our complete transformation. Everything about us that is not like Christ will be transformed to be like Christ. Scripture says when we see him, we shall be like him. The final transformation, everything that we put our faith in now will become reality in that moment. Hallelujah! Every sickness will be gone. Every deficiency will be gone. Every distress will be gone. It will all be gone because Christ is perfect. And we will be in that perfect place with him. This is good news. This is the good news. And the second advent is important to understand because it gives us hope as we go through this life, as we struggle with these struggles. So let's look at one more scripture. It's in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. Remember Peter? Peter was the the one who denied Christ three times. Peter was the one who walked on the water. This is that same Peter. Peter wrote to us these words in 2 Peter. They're on a couple of slides here. But he wrote... Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. That's a good inheritance. It can't lose value on the stock market. It can't be stolen from you. It doesn't become less and less and less as time goes on. It's, It's... Full in every way. This inheritance is kept for you. Where? In heaven. We would love to inherit it now. But we're not inheriting the fullness of it now. It's being kept for us in heaven. Who through faith are shielded by God's power 
until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. See, we are saved through faith in Jesus Christ. If we were to drop dead right now, we'd be in his presence right away, right? Because of our faith in Jesus Christ. We don't put our faith in anything or anyone else. We are saved. But the fullness of our inheritance in Christ is waiting for us. That place where there's no pain, no sorrow, no, de no death, no sickness, and who knows what else. Unimaginable things are waiting for us because of Christ. Therefore, and this is the last verse, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when? When Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. It's like the greatest Santa ever. Always waiting for Santa to bring his big bag of gifts, right? And dump them all out at your house. It's a big pile of gifts. This is maybe where the Santa idea came from. Christ has this huge inheritance waiting for you. And on the right time, in the right way, at the right day, he's going to bring it. And he's going to pour it out on you. Some of it we have already received through the Holy Spirit. Some of it we've already tasted, it says. We've tasted it, but we're not full of it. We're not full to overflowing. We will be when we receive the fullness of his inheritance. Notice here how Peter ties the promise of Christ's return to the completion of our salvation, our inheritance. So Jesus is coming again with a righteous judgment against sin and against sinners, but he's also coming again to rescue and to bring the final inheritance of our salvation to his followers. The second advent will be cosmic and public and completely redemptive because it displays the full glory and power of God to save us and to make us new again. He's making all things new. So we're living today in a valley, in between one advent and the next. Right now, in the in-between time, we're in between two advents. Christ has come and is coming again. When we look at Christmas, we have to say, yes, Merry Christmas. But our next breath should say, and Maranatha, because he's coming again. Wow. Why don't you do it? Let's all say Merry Christmas. One, two, three. Merry Christmas. Now let's say one, two, three. Maranatha. Maranatha. All right? When you hear Merry Christmas, I want you to think Maranatha. Yes, he came, and the good news is he's coming again. Yes, he came the first time, but the greater news is he's coming again in the fullness of your full inheritance in Christ Jesus. You got a little bit, you got a little taste of what is going to blow our minds. Scripture says, no mind can conceive, no eye has seen. We can't even imagine what God has prepared for those whom he loves. Jesus said to his disciples before his ascension, he said, listen, don't be sad, don't be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to bring you to that place. People, 
If we focus only on the first advent, if we focus only on Christmas, only on all the presents we're going to get, only on the presents we didn't get and we have to go out and buy after, if that's all we focus on, we are missing the whole point of Jesus coming in the first place. He didn't just come so that we can have little manger scenes and shepherds and angels and, and play little Christmas games. That's not why he came. He came to make us fully new in his image, in the image of God, to restore everything that the enemy has stolen, to bring back everything that is good about being a child of God. It's exciting to celebrate Christmas because it reminds us he's coming again. He's coming again. This is the image that we are given in Scripture. One of the images we're given in Scripture is a bride who's waiting for her groom to come and bring her to the wedding and then to the wedding feast, right? It's, it's this great image that Christ uses and the Apostle Paul used to help us to understand because the bride is engaged to be married. This is the story of Mary and Joseph, right? They didn't live together yet. They hadn't been together physically yet. But they were engaged, promised to one another. Right now, people, we're engaged. We're engaged to Jesus. And he's promised he's gone to prepare a place for us. He's building a house, a mansion in the sky for us. And he said, I'll be back soon. Okay? I'll be back soon. And while you're here, could you tell some people about me? And could you really try to remain faithful to me? Because if you start cheating on me and messing around and going all crazy, we're going to have issues. We are to remain hopeful of his return and faithful to him in the meantime. Can you be full of hope and full of faith with me as we wait for his return? God, give us expectant hearts. Help us to be like that bride who can't wait for that day, but is waiting and is waiting faithfully and hopefully in all that you have promised. We know that your word is true because we can look back in history and we can see that it's true. We can see the fulfillment of it in so many amazing ways. So why would we doubt the rest of it? Why would we doubt the second coming? If we believe in the first coming, Lord, help us to bring these two together in our hearts, to commit ourselves deeply to believing everything that you said. Thank you, Lord, for coming the first time. Thank you for coming the second time. We look forward to your return. In the meantime, we say, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. That is our prayer. Come and rescue us. Bring us to that place that you prepared for us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.